So this is the quote I have to read. <laughs> um, I want to state that this does not necessarily express the views and opinions of Fire the Cannon or any host or producer therein. Love between man and man is impossible because there must not be sexual intercourse. And friendship between man and woman is impossible because there must be sexual intercourse. Okay, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean Ew, that. Ew, he said that. Why did he say that? No, I didn't say it. Oh. Oh, she really got you good. I mean, if I'm going down, you guys are going down with me. All right. Um, welcome to Fire the Canon, everyone. This is the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. My name's Jackie. I'm one of your hosts. My name's Rachel. I'm your other host. I love setting the tone for this weird thing I do. Go ahead, Theo. The podcast? Come on. Yeah. I'm the executive producer of this weird thing we do. <laughs> Keep telling yourself you got a race, Theo. Keep telling yourself that. And your name is? What's your name? Oh, Theo. <laughs> but this week, my name is... Actually, I could be Old Jack or I could be Jack Power. I prefer Jack Power. <laughs> what? Jack Power? Is that like Desert Power? <laughs> yeah. Desert Power. Power, comma, Jack. That's my name. Yeah. You can be Jack Power. <laughs> yeah, be, you be Power Jack. Theo's going to be Little Chandler, and I don't have a Joycean <laughs> name at all. Let's see. There's got to be something. Just do Control F for Best. That's Rachel's last name. <laughs> I bet he wrote Best at some point. But he was like, now this one is the best of the short stories. And then he started writing the short story. <laughs> he told us, guys, the other ones, they're not so great. This one is pretty yeah. good. If you're going to read one of them. He wrote the foreword <laughs> to his own book and said, all right, I'm going to rank these babies right now. <laughs> so, yeah, we this week are finishing up our discussion of James Joyce's Dubliners because some fucking idiot <coughs> – me. We won't say who. <laughs> <laughs> thought it would be cute to read Joyce for St. Patrick's Day because she's a moron. So we're doing, what is it, stories uh, 9 through 15? Indeed we are, Power Jack. Thank you. Did you guys change your names yet? No. No? We're both fire cannon. We're still both fire cannon. Come on. <laughs> You've got to stop this. Okay, okay. Should we tell the story about... Because we only we told it to Jeff in person, but we've never told it on the pod. Should we tell the story about what happened when you guys were fire cannon and we had a guest? <laughs> I don't remember. Okay. Yeah. So for context, audience, <laughs> our Zoom name is Fire Cannon on our Fire the Cannon Zoom account. Automatically. Automatically. So Jackie and I always log in as Fire Cannon. Take it away, Rach. And I log in as Rachel. Old Grendel. <laughs> yeah, my name used to be automatically set as Old Grendel, and I, like, couldn't change it. I could not change it, and I spent, like, a while trying to figure it out before I gave up. But then when I joined this choir in Durham, I'm like, I can't be Old Grendel because they record these things. <laughs> that was, like, 60 episodes ago. I know. <laughs> I once joined a work call as Trespassers J, and that didn't go well for me, so. Who is good. Trespassers J? Who is is this? <laughs> okay, so this story is when we had our guest, Ada Palmer, who by this point you will have heard everything that we had to say to each other the, the one time we talked, but we'll have more later. Jackie and Theo were both fire cannon, and while we were talking, I was like, this is good stuff. Why isn't Theo recording this? Because usually he video records all of them. For some reason, he's kind of stopped, but he really <laughs> should be doing it for this one too. So I thought, oh, wow, she's really giving us some really good information. We should record it because if we do put this on our YouTube channel, it would be great to have. So I messaged both of the fire cannons because I didn't know <laughs> who was who. And I said, if this is Theo... 
please ask Ada Palmer if we can record or like if this is Theo, you might want to consider recording this, something like that. And I said the same thing to both of them. And Theo responded and was like, okay, I'll ask her. And Jackie, for some reason, she didn't respond. No, she didn't respond. It defaulted that way. No, she didn't respond directly to the individual message I sent her. She typed in the chat to everyone, including our guest, one word, which was what? What? Like lowercase what? And this was in the middle of the guest, like giving us this like, you know, long involved speech about the Black Plague, and Jackie's response is like, "What? Are you guys getting this? Because I'm not." Like, is that how she thought I was like asking her to pause so I could ask a question? Like, instead of just talking to her, I would just type, "What?" She's like, uh, "Do you want me to explain that, Jackie? Yeah, do I need to start over?" All she did was she paused for a second. And then kept going. And I had no <laughs> so idea it happened. I had no idea it even happened. Because I had the opposite thing happen. The opposite thing? <laughs> I didn't know. Okay, when I'm responding to a message, why would that go to everyone if you're the only one who sent it to me? That makes no sense. I didn't change that. True. Yeah, you did something wrong, I think. But regardless, <laughs> regardless, Theo and I... We talked about it like three times afterwards and during. He was texting me and he's like, can you believe Jackie just did that? But we've texted about it so many times and we're like, when is the best time to bring that up? I still didn't know. And then they reminded me of it a few days ago when we were recording. And then when they went to go tell the story right now, tonight, this moment, I had forgotten it again. <laughs> it's meant nothing. I don't know. So the opposite thing happened when I was doing a work Theo chat. was really affected by it. More than me. Positively? (laughs) (laughs) It's made me the man I am today. (laughs) So negatively, yeah. (laughs) It's just so funny. I mean, no matter what, she knew we were, like, whispering secrets to each other (laughs) in the chat while she was talking. The worst case scenario, she thought you were just, like, rudely saying... What? She's not making any sense. Okay, the worst part of it was my name was still the same as yours. Both of our names are Fire Cannon. So, so. That's great. She probably thought it was you. But yeah, but but from your perspective, it's pretty funny because you probably didn't consider the fact that we were both named Fire the Cannon. So for you, it just said, like, if you are Theo, I'll be like, I'm not Theo. I know. I had no idea what was going on. I was just like. What are you talking about? Why would you ask me if I'm Theo? <laughs> like Usually when Rachel addresses you, she's like 75% sure you're not. Theo. <laughs> yeah, Jackie's the face blind one, not me. I can tell which one of you is Theo. Till the day I die. I loved that conversation. I am so happy we had it. I want to have more. You just didn't understand it. Yeah, you just had no idea what was going on. What? <laughs> I love things. I have I have no idea what's going on. All those words sound amazing. What do they mean? <laughs> I'd like to learn that language one day. It's so pretty. <sighs> I think the funniest part of it is just that I am still not embarrassed about this because I didn't know it happened. But you know now. It's too late. The moment has passed. Uh, You can be embarrassed in hindsight. Yeah. And you shall. Make me. I'm not. (laughs) Make her Bring up something else from my past. I'm sure we can get there, but not this Uh, one. It just seems so rude. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's like the rudest thing you can do. I know. While someone yeah, it is was like really rude. answering Theo. a question, you just say it right in the middle. You're just as likely as me to have sent that from her perspective. <laughs> it's like she's going to think we're we're not only rude, but stupid. <laughs> Welcome to Fire the Cannon, the Rude and Stupid podcast. <laughs> if you want to come on and have no one know what you're saying and be really rude about it. 
<laughs> this is the place for you. Fire cannons got you. Well, what's funny is I was asking a ton of questions, and I'm sure I was really engaged, whereas Theo just, like, he was asking questions, but he naturally just says a lot less. So I'm sure she thought it was you. <laughs> He's going to, like, message her on Twitter and say, hey, by the way, I don't know if you noticed. Me. but Yeah. And she's going to say, who are you? <laughs> Actually, you know what? Next time we get her on the podcast, we'll ask her about it. I bet she won't. I bet she, like, hasn't even noticed. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll ask her. I think I'm going to come out on top here. <sighs> and if she ever comes back again, let's just do that again. <laughs> like, every time she comes on, we just, we prank her. What? <laughs> yeah, what a, what a hilarious prank. A prank that she may not even notice we did. What? <laughs> <laughs> Tiny little prank. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know why I played a joke on or a prank on Joshua that backfired? <laughs> Did I tell you this? I don't know. What was it? So the prank I played on Joshua was this was back in like 2016, late 2015. The presidential nominations were starting to ramp up and a bunch of people were running. And I have no idea what made me think this was funny. Honestly, I can't explain it, but I signed him up for the Ben Carson email list. Uh Let's just be honest. That is not at all his political persuasion. Good. And I just thought it would be funny for him to start getting repeated emails like, (laughs) hey, Joshua, thank you so much for signing up. Thank you for getting onto the mission. We're so excited to have you on the Ben Carson train or whatever he called his his campaign. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I had no idea that that would ruin his email forever. Yeah. The Carson campaign, like, sold his email address to all the other Republican pundits. Yeah, I didn't know that would happen. And so he now... (laughs) We both knew that was going to happen. Well, this was I was young, you're old. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so to this day, I've ruined his Gmail. He still gets, like, crazy requests for money and support from, like, Tea Party Republicans. That's insane. Yeah, and I can't fix it. Sorry, Joshua. Do you want to talk about the first one, Jacko? What about you, Rochel? Rochel. I can tell you that there's one I absolutely don't want to do. Yeah. Okay, well, while you're thinking of it, I have to give Theo some bad news. What's wrong? You remember how there's a character in one of the previous stories named Little Chandler? Does he become Big Chandler? (laughs) No. No, he becomes Dead Chandler. Yeah. What happens is that I was reading, uh, because our recording time today ended up getting, like, kind of pushed back and back and back. And um, I was like, oh, I have time to do a lot of things I didn't think I had time for. So I was like reading the notes for the previous stories. And one of them said like, hey, the problem with like one of the reasons he didn't want to go by the name Chandler was because not only is Chandler like an English name, Mm -hmm. also in Hiberno English, it means meat maggot. Meat maggots back on the menu, boys. Did you? Did you say meat magistrate by chance? <laughs> no, I said meat maggot. <laughs> oh. Sorry. Well, that's a little disappointing. Did you say <laughs> meat magnate? <laughs> no, I didn't. Sorry. Now you know what Chandler means in Ireland. Irish? I don't know. Ireland. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll, I'll do the first one. I'm a meat magnet. All right, let's move on. God, can you imagine how much it would suck to be a meat magnet? You walk down, like, through the grocery store and everything's just flying at you. It's like salmonella in your eyes. But you're also a vegetarian, so it's just so ironic. Yeah. Oh, so ironic. So freaking ironic. Yeah. <laughs> Alanis Morissette would 
Oh, gosh, she's mad she didn't put that in the song. Anyway, Seriously. so the first story that it's we're covering today. It's like you're today, a meat magnet. <laughs> you're, you're a vegetarian. <laughs> but there's meat all over your skin. <laughs> there is. I mean, under your skin, I guess. <laughs> you're a vegetarian, but you're made out of meat. <laughs> Whoa, okay. that is irony. That's really good. <laughs> now that's wow. what I call irony. First story is called Counterparts. This is about a man named Farrington who works as a scrivener, actually. Farrington the scrivener. Wow. uh, Is less delightful than Bartleby, I have to say. But he works copying legal documents for a lawyer. Oh, audience. Wait. If you can't get enough of scrivening, listen to our Bartleby the (laughs) scrivener episode. Yeah. That's true. You know who has had enough of scrivening? Farrington. Bartleby. He's very over it. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> and, and Bartleby, I guess. <laughs> so Farrington, the whole time he's working, he's just like, everything's like awful. His boss is nagging him, and he hates being there, and he just <laughs> keeps thinking. thinking, I wish I could have a drink. I wish I could just get out of here and slip into a pub and have a nice drink. So he's like dreaming about like when work is over and he can go and just have a drink, and um, it's causing him to just become like, extremely frustrated and furious with everything and he's like not really doing his work and he gets yelled at by his boss he sneaks out and like nips down the street and like buys a beer real quick and drinks it and comes back up and now he's like now I'm back at work and now I'm a little bit drunk and I'm too confused and out of it to like do these copies so he decides to just like half-ass his work give it to his boss he gets caught and then the boss comes down and berates him it's also it's very funny because the boss is like you have to finish this by a particular time Mm -hmm. and he says to himself like well I can't really finish it right now because like it's late enough in the day that the light is is not bright enough but it's not late enough for them to turn on the gas lamps so I'm gonna go out to the pub and drink until it's dark (laughs) enough for the lamps to come on and then I'll be able to see Uh, and then as soon as he's back he's like well I don't have enough time it's kind (laughs) of how like at the end of every work day you're like well I do have to be here for 35 more minutes but I can't do a task in that time so I better just leave early Mm. anyway so his boss like notices that he hasn't done all of the copying he was supposed to and he starts yelling at him and he says basically like do you think I'm some kind of fool and Farrington responds well, sir, I don't know if I'm the right person to ask about that, which was apparently a cutting insult to this man <laughs> at this time. To us, we're just like... Was that the exact quote? I thought it was like... It was close. I think it's close, but I want the real words if we can get them. Okay, he said, I don't think, sir, that that's a fair question to put to me. So it's like even more delicately phrased than how Jackie <laughs> said it. I know. And everybody in this room was just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and the boss is like blows up on him basically. And he's just like, you know what? Fuck this. So he he just leaves. He goes to the pub and he's like, finally, now I can drink. And he goes and he pawns his watch so that he can have some money because he had just spent his last penny on the drink he bought earlier. Oh, no. Um, I know. It's very sad. Um, yeah. It's a good investment. And he was kind of thinking like, maybe if I can finish my work in time, then my boss will advance me some money. But of course, he fucked that up. <laughs> Is he an alcoholic, you think? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> Safe to say. Because okay. when he snuck out of work to get that drink, that wasn't even the first time. That was like his third or fourth time that day. Mm. To which I'm like, just get a keg, my dude. Keep it next to your, your desk. By the way, he had he was forced to apologize to his boss in front of everyone. So he's like even more pissed off. Ugh. So he pawns his watch. He has some money now. And he's like, great, now I can drink. Uh, everything's going to feel better. And he gets to the pub and he's like buying rounds of drinks for his friends. Eventually, after several times of this, he's like, some people, 
people are kind of like ordering more expensive drinks than he'd like them to. And some people are kind of like not really, you know, putting into the pot as much as he'd like them to. And, and pretty soon he's all out of money and he's like, damn, like I just spent all this money. I pawned my watch and I didn't even get drunk because I just bought so many drinks for so many other people. And he feels really bitter and just extra furious. He tries to, like, flirt with this woman. It doesn't work. Like, she's not returning his advances. She No, and, he doesn't even talk to her. Yeah. He sees an attractive young woman, and he thinks, like, oh, she's attractive. And at one point, she, like, looks up, and they make eye contact, <gasps> and they don't talk at all. She doesn't look at him mm-hmm. anymore. Then she leaves, and he's like, oh, man, I really want her to look back at me, and then we can flirt. Yeah. She doesn't look back at him. At one point, she, like, very slightly bumps into him and says, like, oh, sorry, and he gets pissed. Mm-hmm. So, like, he wasn't really trying to flirt with her. He was just like, I hope she'll flirt with me for no reason. <laughs> he thought about it, and then he was, like, affronted that they, like, she dared to make eye contact with him and then, like, bump into him and not even flirt Flirted. with him, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, don't I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But then did she leave with a guy with a watch? She came in with a guy and another woman, and then they all left together. Uh, okay. She came in with a guy wearing his watch that he had just bought. Oh, that yeah. watch was the secret to finding love. Damn. So anyway, then like a younger, more thin man challenges him to arm wrestling, and he loses. And he's like, come on, best two out of three. That wasn't fair. That wasn't fair. And everyone's like, all right. So he plays again and loses again and he's like humiliated and frustrated and so angry so he leaves the pub he goes home all right now he's escaped work he's tried to go to the pub that didn't work out for him he's going home and his wife is out but one of his like five little kids is there and he's like uh warm my dinner up for me and the boy's like okay dad I'm gonna warm your dinner up and then he realizes that the boy has like let the kitchen fire go out so it's gonna take a long time to warm his dinner up and he he's like this is the last straw he's enraged he starts beating the boy and the story ends with his son like begging him not to beat him and saying if you stop beating me I'll say a lord's prayer for you or I'll say a hail Hail Mary and that's the end of the story and that's the end So, yeah, I think he might be an alcoholic. So, I mean, obviously the title is telling you yeah. what's going to happen. What was the title again? Counterparts. It's called Counterparts, and it's that he, when he's at work, he just feels put upon, and he thinks he's mistreated by the, his boss and just treated unfairly. Then he goes home, and he takes it out on his family. So, mm-hmm. there you go. Nothing. Everything he thinks is going to bring him some type of pleasure just makes him more and more angry because he's not capable of seeing his own behavior that's contributing to it. Did you sense that that was going to be the end? Well, yeah, everything sucks for all these characters. I don't know exactly, but I'm not surprised. Like, I mean, he doesn't have an epiphany. He's one of the few that doesn't. I guess we're the ones who have the epiphany about him. Because until that happened, I was just like, oh, ha-ha, antics, you know? (laughs) I I guess. Because it's funny. It's funny for someone to be like, oh, it's like it's too dark, so I'll just wait a little bit. And then when it's bright, I'll Mm -hmm. be able to work even faster and then just immediately say, oh, well, wait, I don't have any time. Like his – the way that he – kind of logics things out to himself Mm -hmm. is very funny to me but and then you know just even the way that he feels about the woman that he literally doesn't talk to you know it's frightening because a lot of men are like Mm -hmm. that but it's still kind of funny yeah it makes me wonder if 
the reactions that he's perceiving from people about being like, oh, my God, he did this cool thing. Like, you kind of wonder if maybe he exaggerated that a little bit in his head. Maybe some people weren't quite as impressed. But, you know, he's got this worldview of, like, him being the victim and everything. I think, to me, it doesn't seem like that just because the narrator... It's third person. This isn't one of the few first person stories. Mm -hmm. And the way that the narrator phrases things, it doesn't seem to me that the narrator is like super influenced by uh, by this guy. Yeah. It seems like the narrator is taking a more objective look than Farrington is. Yeah, the narrator has more insight than Farrington does. And the other funny thing is just that. So he thinks to himself, like, I'll get out of here early by just giving what I've written so far to my boss and just letting him think it's the full thing and I'm not going to do the last two letters or whatever. And he's like, he's not going to notice. So he gives it to him. The boss looks at it. Two seconds go by and he's like, there's two letters missing. And the guy's like, no, there's not. And he's I like, I copied everything that you gave me. <laughs> yeah. And the boss is like, no, you didn't. You're lying. Do you think I'm a fool? And then he says that, you know, famous line that he says. But it's like, the boss figured it out immediately. He's yeah. not a fool. <laughs> yeah, he should have done all of them, but took out like a line of each one so he could finish it faster. That would have been hard. <laughs> oh, he should have done just the first word of each line and then like put a paper over the sign and be like, here it is. And it would look like they're all. Yeah. Oh. Here it is. Gotta go. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he didn't do anything from when the boss told him like, you need to finish by the end of the day. I think he didn't mm -hmm. write anything else almost he should have just said Excuse i'd me. prefer not to <laughs> yeah, yeah we all know that, that works, works out, out really, really well, well for Barnaby. <laughs> wow. i don't think i like the early 1900s dublin version of the office <laughs> <laughs> jackie your laugh <laughs> <laughs> it was funny <laughs> but it was like one syllable <laughs> <laughs> well because for some reason in my head i just i just saw stanley you know when he's like yeah. did i stutter and i'm imagining like the boss being like did do i look like a fucking fool to you <laughs> do they curse on the office they say stutter and stuff like that they stutter sure okay but what if stanley had said i don't think sir that that's a fair question to put to me <laughs> i could see yeah. him saying that uh i could see dwight saying that that's actually true but he wouldn't have had an attitude with his boss mm. you don't think okay he would he would say that to jim yeah but i don't think he'd call him sir I don't know if it's a one-to-one. -one. No, maybe Jim would say that to Dwight. <laughs> He'd call Dwight, sir? Like, it would be false politeness. Yeah, but but in a sarcastic way. Yeah, oh. yeah. as a joke. As a joke. I get it. Yeah. yeah as a sarcasm. <laughs> uh, chapter, uh, story 10, Rachel Clay. This one's yours. Yeah. And it takes place on All Hallows' Eve. <gasps> That's Thanksgiving for modern listeners. That is not. <laughs> <laughs> Were you serious? It's time for Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, Rachel, you go ahead. All right, so this one's called Clay, and this is actually one of the more positive ones, I would say. Or, like, it's not as depressing. We'll see what Jackie thinks. Uh, not on its surface, but secretly it is. What? Whoa, Jackie read between the lines. I did read between the lines. <laughs> How dare she on this pod? <laughs> okay, so the main character of this one is called, her name is Mariah. Mm. I'm pretty sure it's Mariah and not Maria, just because I had read that you know, about 100 years ago, for some reason, that's just how everyone pronounced it. So that's what I'm going to call her. And also, in the beginning, there's a part where a guy walks by her window and says, Hey, Mariah. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Wait, what? That happens at the beginning of a Mariah Carey song. He goes, hey, Mariah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I made it sound so gross. Yeah, it's spelled differently, though. <laughs> hey, Mariah. It's like my Hey Candy story. Did I tell you guys that one? No. Check the wiki, see if so. it's in there. This is very short. Oh, this also took place on Halloween, actually. It was Halloween on Franklin Street and Franklin Street in Chapel Hill on Halloween massive party they shut it down to cars it's just people spilling out all over the streets and just like wild shenanigans go on i was there i think every year that i was in college there but one of the years was the one year i wasn't with rachel (laughs) i was going into a restaurant basically and like this large man was pushing his way out of the door while i was trying to go in and it was halloween and he just looks at me and he goes hey candy (laughs) what were you dressed as Candy? Princess Peach. <laughs> it had nothing to do with candy. I'll just never forget the way that he, hey, candy. It was like so aggressive and like mocking and weird. And I'm just like, did he think I looked like candy? Like, was he trying to eat me? It's the scariest thing I've ever been called. <laughs> I just realized that that was probably a bad impulse I had when you got, you know, sort of catcalled in a way. And then I said, well, what were you wearing? <laughs> Yeah. But if you had been wearing a candy costume, it would have made a lot of sense. Right. Well, it's weird because I was only wearing Smarties wrappers. Like, I mean, that would still be such a crazy thing to say. Like, if you were dressed as a Jolly Rancher, hey, candy. No, it wasn't hey, candy. It was hey, candy. <laughs> so scary. Uh, Something kind of similar happened to Stephen once where someone just like devastated him with two words, maybe three. But he was, he said, so. Wait, can I, wait, 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 yeah. Theo, let's guess what the words are. Um, You'll never guess. Devastate Stephen with two words. Um, Co- or maybe three. Skinny boy. Lindbergh baby. Skinny boy. <laughs> no, both of those are fine. <laughs> it's fine if I call him the Lindbergh baby. Yeah, he doesn't care. For those of you who don't know, Stephen is a tall, skinny, white guy. Mm -hmm. Steven was walking out of his office to get some lunch. just to get a drink in the middle of the day like he does five times. Yeah, (laughs) like he does. He was like by himself and he walked past these two black teenage boys who were hanging out and one of them looked at him and said, what's up, Patrick? And then the two of them (laughs) looked at each other and started laughing at Steven. (laughs) And when he got home, he told me he was like, what? What is this? And he's like, they just said, what's up, Patrick? He's like, why did they say that? Do I look like a Patrick? It's funny because I feel like most teenagers would be thinking about like Patrick from SpongeBob, which he looks nothing like. Yeah. No, I guess they were just like white nerd name Patrick. Yeah. Oh my God. I have actually two stories about that, but one of them, um, this was a couple, this was a couple years ago. This was also in 2016 actually, because Hillary was running for president and it was the day of the election, I want to say. And I was just like walking around at work and this like man across the street, never met him before, no idea who he was, just like some guy walking around looks at me and goes, what's up, Hillary Clinton? <laughs> and I was just like, that's so rude. Just because I'm like a blonde woman, I don't look like Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like he's trying to get my attention that way as though I was going to be like, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Did you have short hair at the time? I had shorter hair. Yeah. Jackie, but what were you wearing? 
Was it a pantsuit? Were you at a podium? <laughs> <laughs> I had my podium. I was like driving around like Melissa McCarthy on <laughs> SNL. But it's just like, you know, you think about it. A few years prior to that, I was in Chapel Hill. Somebody said, you look like Marilyn Monroe. A couple years go by. Now I'm Hillary Clinton. Like things really went downhill fast and I don't know what happened. Wait, were you candy in between? <laughs> yeah, when yeah, were I was you candy, candy in between? Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. I like the idea that you're Marilyn Monroe and then you're melted down into candy and then you reform into Hillary Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Yeah, like somebody was like, quick, make Marilyn Monroe again. Get her back into shape and it <laughs> yeah, turns right. out to be Hillary Clinton. <laughs> we did our best, okay? I'm going to get fired for this one. <laughs> like the Madame Tussauds employee is just like, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Very good image. Wow, that's a reference everyone gets. I love it. So yeah. if you didn't get it, sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's universal. <laughs> You're not a person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess All so. All right, Rachel, talk about this Halloween story. Okay, so Mariah is an old woman who works in a, it's like a, so it's a charity for, let's call it fallen women that was called the Magdalene Laundry. So this was a Protestant charity and Mariah is Catholic, but she's found that she gets along with these women pretty well. And she's kind of like, she's their peacekeeper, sort of manages things. And she, after work, is going to go to a Halloween party at the family of a young man named Joe, who, when he was younger, she used to be the nurse for him and his brother. And they've remained very, very close. And he's asked her to move in with his family, but she was like, no, no, I want to make my own money. But he wants her to move in with them, and his wife likes her, the kids like her, so she has an option. Mm -hmm. While she's at work, uh, they have a little tea party, and uh, there's like a game that they play where they get these sort of scones, and inside there are different items baked in, and one of them is a ring. And depending on what you get, that's like a prediction for the next year, but she doesn't get the <gasps> ring. And apparently oh. there was like a joke where everyone's like, oh, you'll get the ring next year because mm -hmm. she's very, very old, I suppose. <laughs> like they just hand her like the lumpiest, obviously most ring-shaped scone and they're yeah. like, Mariah, wonder what's in this Here one. we go, yeah. yeah. They really want her to get it, it seems. <laughs> but so after work, she goes, she buys a bunch of little cakes for the kids who are going to be at the party and she like spends a lot of time trying to find the perfect cake for the adults. And she ends up deciding yeah she decides on a plum cake but while she's there she's taking so long the girl working at the shop asks her like oh are you trying to buy a wedding cake so it's like another wedding reference but it doesn't seem like the girl's mocking her it seems like she's earnestly asking her if she's trying to get a wedding cake yeah like i noticed you've come in here six times this week and you asked for samples of everything you must be <laughs> wanting a wedding cake but so she gets on the tram to go to joe's house and when she first gets on there are a lot of young men on the tram and none of them get up to let her sit down but there's like an older gentleman who scoots over and he's like oh you can sit here so he's a little bit drunk but it seems like he's <laughs> hey, very nice yeah <laughs> seems like he's really nice and they're like they have like a lively conversation and it, it might be a little bit flirty who knows and she's like he's so much nicer than all these young men like they don't remember their manners oh. right so she has a nice chat with the old guy and then when she gets off they say goodbye and they're like nice to meet you so she gets to the house and gives the little kids their cakes and she's like, all right, time to give a cake to the adults. And she realizes she forgot it. It's a special plum cake. And she probably left it on the tram. Yeah, which the problem also is that her salary would not have been very good and she spent 
quite a bit of money on the cake to be a special treat. So she's like really upset that she wasted the money. But Joe and his wife are like, oh, don't worry about it all. Like we have a lot of snacks and here, let's get you some drinks. And she tries to be like, no, I don't need a drink. And they're like, no, 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 you've got to have a drink. It's a party. So she has a drink and they play the same game they played before. But instead of items being in bread, they're like. They're just like on a table and you're blindfolded and you have to reach out and touch them. Right. And so when she touches something, we know that it's clay from the garden. Mm -hmm. And when she does, the whole room is like quiet. And they're like, don't, uh, who brought that in here? Like, you need to take that out. And she. Yeah, like, that's not funny. Put that in the garden. Yeah. It's the killing one. (laughs) I mean. She's going to die. I guess the implication. It's a symbol of death. Yeah. Early death. It's, that's the implication or no, I mean, it wouldn't be early. She's. She's pretty old, but anyway. I mean, premature. So she touches clay or whatever, but then it says she realizes like that she chose wrong and she needs to pick again. So she ends up uh, trying again and she grabs a prayer book and Joe's wife is like, oh, well, this means that maybe you'll join a convent in the next year or something like that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so everyone's <laughs> cheerful again. They ask her if she'll sing a song from like the good old days. So she sings this song. It's from like some opera. She, instead of singing the second verse, though, she just sings the first verse over again. And apparently, so the song is like someone kind of thinking back on their youth. And the verse she doesn't sing is the character reminiscing about like all these different types of men who wooed her in her day. Um, so she doesn't sing that one. But anyway, she said. she couldn't do it justice. Well, she, it was an accident. But Joe loves the song and he he's like quite drunk at this point and he's like oh the old songs they're the best you did such a beautiful job and he's so thankful and it just it ends with saying like he was so moved that he like forgot what he was looking for and he had to get his wife to get him the bottle opener for him he was so moved that he was moved to tears and to hide his tears he, he was like oh where's that corkscrew somebody find me the corkscrew yeah so he's very emotional about it Yeah, but it's not really explained, like, what made him so emotional. When I read about it, because I'm not smart enough to figure this stuff out on my own, like, when I went and, like, read an analysis of it, the clay, yes, if it was, like, a children's game and someone touched it, they'd be like, "Uh uh-oh, that means you're going to die early. When she touches it, it's obviously not as funny, but it's a symbol not so much for her actual literal literal death I was reading, but more just, like, the death of, like, her hopes and dreams. Because that's, like, the theme of everything, right? Like, she's not going to find love. It's it's too late. Oh, crap. I, that doesn't, to me, that doesn't seem like the theme. She just, like, had a flirtation with a nice old gentleman. But that that's what caused her to lose the plum cake. Like, she thinks to herself, like, I was so caught up with talking to this guy. Like, it, it messed up this nice thing I was going to do. <sighs> she's not getting the ring. But nobody, I guess, this is what I'm saying. Like, nobody cares. They just love her and they're happy that she's there. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it doesn't seem so bad. She has this family that loves her and wants her to live with them. She doesn't have to keep working at her job if she doesn't want to. But even at the job she works at... She's appreciated and everyone's happy to have her. Mm-hmm. It just seems like everywhere she goes, people love her and appreciate her. It just doesn't seem that depressing of a story. Like, so what? She didn't get married. Look at all the other husbands <laughs> and wives in this book. Like, is that something to aspire to? No, honestly not. Yeah, she definitely <laughs> has one of the better outcomes. But the fact that it gets repeated over and over again, like she misses that that stanza in the in the song where, yeah. you know, it seems like maybe secretly she wanted it. She's sad. Maybe so. But, I mean, honestly— all the husbands we've seen suck, so. They suck. Every one of them? 
Everyone. Here's what I thought was going to happen is I thought she was going to grab the clay and then they're going to be like, that's not cool. Who put that there? Take it outside. Take it outside. And then she took it outside and then she played the game again and she reached and she got the clay again. <laughs> <laughs> what? How could this be? Yeah, and it's just like spirits, ghosts. And they say, take it outside, take it outside. And this time they take Mariah and put her outside. <laughs> yeah. 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 Spirits and um, ghouls. Ghosts. Ooh. Some of these kind of feel like ghost stories. Mm-hmm. A little spooktacular. Yeah. They're kind of like ghost stories without ghosts. That's what it should have been called. Yeah, like stories. Wow, <laughs> that's actually a really insightful way to explain Joyce, like honestly. Okay, so that's that story. The next one is way sadder, like way sadder, one of the most sad stories in the whole book. But it's one of my favorite ones. It's called A Painful Case. It's about a guy named Mr. Duffy. Duffy comes from the Irish word for dark, so we already know that he's kind of going to have like a, a dark outlook here. Ooh. But um, he's a middle-aged man, and he lives alone, and it starts out with Joyce describing the apartment that he lives in, and it's like very sparsely furnished. Like there's not a lot of color it's just very practical. It's got what he needs in it and, like, nothing else. Like, classic bachelor pad. And he chose the location because not a lot of people live in that area. Yeah, like, because it was further away from, like, the hustle and bustle. He's a very orderly man. He hates surprises. He hates things disrupting his routine. But he likes to go out to see concerts and, um, like, operas and stuff sometimes. And he goes out one night and he finds that he's sitting next to this woman about his age, so middle-aged, and she's with her daughter, <gasps> and they get to chatting, and he's like, okay, that was a fine chat, and then he happens to see her again at another concert, and they chat again, and then after this, they kind of decide, like, maybe we should, like, hang out and and take things, <laughs> take it outside, like they're going to fight or something. <laughs> we should take this outside. <laughs> they are friends, but they're, like, starting to have convers like they're having conversations that are like on a higher level like she's starting to like fulfill something in him that like wants to have like intellectual intimate conversations about like thoughts and feelings and beliefs and morals and stuff and so they have these conversations and they have like a similar taste in music and philosophy and poetry and literature and it's just like a really great yeah, yeah like they're just really well matched Whoa. but she's married to a captain police captain right or army captain I I think he's like away at sea. Oh, a, a sea captain. <laughs> the third kind. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He's a captain of some kind, so he's not often around. Uh-oh. And so he'll, you know, hang out with her in her house. And then he's like kind of uncomfortable with like their clandestine friendship or whatever. So she invites him over to the house. And this is like one funny thing that I highlighted. He's middle-aged, right? And so yeah. is the woman. And so he, she invites him to have dinner with her and her husband and her daughter. And the captain husband doesn't think anything of it. And in fact, he's delighted because he thinks that guy is here to ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. Oh, God. He's like, oh, this like middle-aged man is here? That must be so they can get married. So then he has to go through with it? Is that what No, he doesn't. But they've they've been hanging out. Like, <laughs> no, this is not a romantic comedy <laughs> theme. <laughs> they've been hanging out a lot and like talking a lot. And the the husband is like, oh, presumably they're always meeting up to talk about him marrying my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> but it says like he never suspects anything because to him, like his wife is so like the idea of anyone finding his wife attractive or interesting is like so far outside of the husband's mind that it would never occur to him uh, that anything fishy could be going on. He doesn't appreciate her. Not at all. 
Yeah, it doesn't even occur to him that she could be the one he's interested in. Right. This is a tricky situation. I mean, they carry on, I guess, what in modern times we would call, like, an emotional affair. But they, they don't, like, sleep together or do anything physical. Like, it's it's intimate conversations, intense conversations, but they don't do anything else. One of these times, like, they're together and they're having one of these conversations and she's kind of, like, overcome with passion a little bit. And she takes his hand and just, like, push, puts it against her cheek. And this freaks him out real bad. And he, some things you'll read will say like, oh, like she mistook our friendship for like something more. And then he cuts it off. But I think also it's pretty clear that like he's not comfortable with like her disrupting his routine, right? Like he's got everything in place. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't want any nonsense uh. going on. Like he doesn't need any passion in his life. He, So he he's like, uh, no, no, that one thing, like he totally cuts her off and they meet one more time, um, not in private, like at some shop out in Dublin. And he's like, we're not seeing each other again. But is your daughter single? <laughs> yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. What about we're never going to see each other again, but can I marry your daughter? <laughs> yeah. Um, so four years go by and he's like not too broken up about it. He just he's basically pretty emotionless and he's just kind of going about his life doing the exact same stuff he was always doing before. And he's um, eating dinner one night and reading the newspaper and he sees a story about how she, Emily Simico, uh, Mrs. Simico, Simico, sorry, um, had been killed the previous evening. Um, what? She apparently walked in front of a very slow-moving train. It's kind of unclear. Like, she had – it said, you know, in recent years, like, she had taken to drinking a lot. Um, okay, so two years after the friendship ends – she starts like heavily drinking. She starts really going down. And then two Aww. more years after that, she is hit by this train and dies. And they interviewed her husband and he was like, yeah, I don't know. She like started like really pulling away the last couple years and then she became drunkard. And they said like they examined her body and they think she she didn't even die from getting hit by the train. They think she died of just like shock, shock or like uh, her heart just stopped or something. Yeah. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe she walked in front of it on purpose you know like who knows so it's a little up in the air it's a little mysterious and the story ends with the line like basically it wasn't anyone's fault so mr duffy reads this and he's walking along and at first he thinks to himself like this is disgusting like i can't believe i attached myself to this woman who became so sloppy and like did this to herself and it's such like a degrading end and by the fact that i knew her now i'm degraded as well and our friendship is ruined in my mind because she had the capacity to become a drunk to do this like like basically this like classless thing, right? Yeah. Like they were into high class, like interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And but the more he thinks about it, he's like, that was my only chance at love, <laughs> and I threw it away. Well, I mean, and but it's not even like it's not even romantic. He's still just he's walking along and wa- he's like walking alone in the evening, mm-hmm. and he keeps thinking that he's hearing her voice or like feeling her hand brush his. Or, like, seeing mm-hmm. her in the distance. And he's just thinking to himself, like, he's like, well, what could I have done differently? Was there anything that I could have done differently? Mm-hmm. Well, not really. But then he thinks, no, she would have been miserable. Like, stuck alone in her house with someone, no one who appreciated her, no one she could talk to about these things. Mm-hmm. And he realizes, wait, like, if she was miserable, I think I'm also miserable. Mm-hmm. Whoa. <laughs> like, that's what happened to her. He, she died of loneliness, basically. And he had a moment where he told her, like, when they were still friends, um, which I highlighted because I like this. Um, he's talking to her, and he's, like, telling her his ideas on, like, loneliness and partnership and stuff. And he says, 
he heard the strange impersonal voice which he recognized as his own, insisting on the soul's incurable loneliness. We cannot give ourselves, it said. We are our own. And then that was the night that she, like, pressed his hand to her cheek. So he's, he's like, look, nothing can cure loneliness. We're all on our own. And then he realizes way after it's way too late, like, no, we could have cured each other's loneliness. <laughs> yeah, like, but, and the thing is, he's saying, this was the only person who's ever going to care about me or love me. And in response to her, like, offering this to me, I sentenced her to death, <laughs> basically. Death. yeah. The end line is like, he realized he was alone, and that's the end of the story. Yeah. And the quote that we made Theo read <laughs> was from the story where he's like, yep, you can't be friends with a woman. Oh. Yeah, that's one of the things he wrote in his diary after the incident where they quit being friends. No, that was just a thought I had that happened to coincide <laughs> with Joyce's writing. Yeah, he, he just like wanted to get that out there. There is one kind of funny thing towards the end, um, which was that he's walking through the park thinking these things, and he sees, like, some, like, young people who have, like, snuck away into the park at night under cover of darkness to ha have a little rendezvous, and so he sees these lovers, like, laying in the park by a wall, mm. and he's looking at them, and he's just, like, thinking about love lost and all of that, and then they're clearly getting creeped out and, like, want him to go away, and he thinks, <laughs> not even they want me. No one wants me here. It's, of course they don't want you there. <laughs> not even you. this young couple that's about to make out wants me to watch them from the darkness. I am truly alone. I guess I'm gonna be alone forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I went where I thought I was wanted. I guess I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Young lovers, surely they'll understand me. <gasps> what? What if he what if he becomes the old man from that first or from one of those stories where he's like accosting a young man, the young boys in the field and he's like, I had a sweetheart once. <laughs> oh, I hope he doesn't become like a creepy perv against children. Probably not. Rachel, Jackie has uttered it into reality. No, I think these stories take place at very similar times. Yeah, you you will you do see names like occurring in different stories, but they never like it's clearly within the same universe, but the, those elements never interact with each other. Same city, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean exactly. Perhaps the city of Dublin. Dublin. Okay. Okay. If the audience wants a recommendation for anything that kind of hits the same vibe as this story, <laughs> why would you want that? I don't know. But one of my very... Just uh, take a walk by yourself. <laughs> That's it. That's all you got to do. One of my very, very favorite books, and it's very short, like a, quite a quick read. It's really one of my favorites. I want to reread it again soon is called The Remains of the Day by Kazuo Ishiguro. Kazuo Ishiguro. And have you read it yet, Jackie? I started reading it. It's very good. This is, it's one of, it is another story where it like punches you in the stomach at the end of the book. <laughs> anyway, um, the reason, Rachel, that I wanted to do the, the stories that we have so far is because I really didn't want to do this one because I have <laughs> fucking no idea what it's about. Sorry, you'll have to do it. I'll tell you what it's about. It's it is not going to take long. I have to say this is one of my least favorites. Yeah. Except that it's not depressing. Well, it's just very dry. It's just like Irish politics. Yeah, this is a story where while I was reading it, okay, it's called Ivy Day in the Committee Room. And I thought Ivy Day was a person and I was disappointed. Nope. It's a particular day. I was thinking I have got to get either like a historical Irish politics professor or like a Joyce scholar on just to talk to us about this story and try to explain to us that it's good because I don't think it's good, but I know I'm just missing so much. 
Maybe. I know a little bit because I did read the Spark Notes, so maybe I can, like, provide some context. I mean, I know what's happening. I just don't think it's good. Okay. (laughs) And I'm wondering, I'm like, I've got to be missing something. (laughs) I'm going to give a brief summary because I don't think it's worth that much of our time. Okay. Okay. So there are three political candidates in an upcoming election. I'm not even going to bother to tell you their names. But um, I will say two of them are Irish nationalists, and one of them is a conservative who has— Uh, since dropped out and has thrown his support behind one of the nationalists. Okay, the candidates are not in the story. Their canvassers are. So at this time, (laughs) Jackie just said, what? (laughs) So rude. (laughs) Rachel was like, no, I know what it's about. I just don't like it. Whereas I'm like, I don't get what it's about and I don't like it. (laughs) So at this time, canvassers they were not volunteers they got paid and so these guys are very clearly they're like oh man is your guy gonna pay you and someone's like i bet your guy's not gonna pay you but mine's gonna pay me and then one of them's like well maybe your guy's gonna pay you but i bet even though he's a nationalist when the king comes to give a speech i bet he's gonna welcome him my guy wouldn't welcome the king what what do they call him they're like he's a he's a castle he's like a german something no, it's not. It's castle something. He's a castle guy. Like, He's a castle guy. What? A king? <laughs> I guess that's one thing to call a king. He's a crown <laughs> dude. <laughs> no, they're not talking about the king. Hold on. You know, one of those purple robe bros. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we were the purple robe bros. <laughs> we could be. It's not that hard. You just call yourself it. Yeah, we just need three pairs of sets of purple robes. Okay, while you're looking, I'll just keep talking. So as they're kind of arguing a little bit back and forth... They periodically bring up a dead politician. His name is Charles Stewart Parnell, and the date of his death is the holiday of Ivy Day. He was this big Irish nationalist separatist. Yeah, he's a real guy. And um, apparently he was like a very talented politician at like, you know, whipping everyone into shape and getting them to work together. But there was this incident where he like had an affair (laughs) with another politician's wife, and then those two got divorced. And he, like, lost the support of some other politicians, and he, you know, he was made ineffectual, and then he ended up dying. But anyway. I found what I was talking about. Um, He calls them castle hacks. Castle hacks. I would call a king a castle hack, honestly. Yeah, castle hack. There's kind of a contrast between, like, the crassness of modern, you know, quote-unquote modern-day Irish politics with, you know, what— parnell represented and the story ends is, is modern day irish politics much different than 1900s irish politics? Well, that's why i said quote unquote yeah. <laughs> but anyway the story ends with one of the guys just reciting this very emotional poem about parnell and it frames him in the manner of like one of the fallen Irish heroes of legend. And then everyone in the room is kind of united around this, the idea like Parnell, he was great. He would have pulled us all through, but oh, well, he's gone now. And so that's how the story ends. United, but also it kind of leads them to remember like that was a real guy with real ideas and we're so ineffectual. It was just way too many characters, way too many names. I felt like Theo. I get it, Theo. It was hard. Like, I was just like, who's this guy? Who's that guy? They're, like, coming up with, like, people that don't even come into the story. You'll notice I only said one guy's name, Theo. Isn't that nice of me? I feel seen. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's part of like a – maybe that's a stylistic choice. It's just like, uh, yeah, they're just dropping names all over the place. They're just gossiping. They're just chatting about things that don't matter. And it ends with like this contrast between their behavior and like the behavior of someone who actually tried to change things. And like, yeah, they're canvassers, but they clearly don't care. They're not doing a good job. They don't want to do a good job. Yeah. So it's just a sad state of politics. Anyway, that's that. Let's move on. It's not that big of a deal. Theo, should you tell a story about you weren't ever a canvasser, but you did have that job where you had to go. <laughs> you did go door to door. door, to door. <laughs> you did canvas. Do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, because you had a, at least one funny story from it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't you only work there for like three days and then you got fired? <laughs> you worked there for the minimum number of days. <laughs> like, listeners, think about us as people. Like, every single episode we ask you for money because that's just what we do. Yeah. That's, you know. That's who we are. Join our Patreon. But we're so uncomfortable with it in truth. And, like, Theo as a teenager, inf- like, multiply that uncomfortableness by, like, a million. And, like, poor <laughs> Theo going door to door asking strange adults for money. Yeah. Nightmare, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I worked for this, um, I guess it was a nonprofit or something called Environment North Carolina. And I was raising money for the Blue Ridge Parkway. <laughs> Which is a street. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they were trying to protect the land around the Blue Ridge Parkway. Mm-hmm. We got to fill a pothole and I need Theo to get the money for it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go door to door asking people for money to save this street. <laughs> And I had, oh, I had a quota. Every day I had to make $180. Mm-hmm. Like to pay for yourself, basically, to pay your own salary. Plus a little extra. Plus a little extra, so they're making a little money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why they did this, but they, they had a certain number of shirts, and they would just give you sh- a shirt every day, an Environment North Carolina shirt. And you got to keep it? No, you'd have to give it back at the end of the day. <laughs> and every day he got hotter and hotter and hotter because the These shirts were just adding so many layers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to keep it and continue wearing it. Yeah. No, uh, you gave it back at the end of the day, mm-hmm. and then I guess they washed them, hopefully, and then gave them and then rest. <laughs> I was passing them out at the beginning of the day. And I think it was because there was so much turnover in the job. Like, so many people got fired so often. That doesn't often. seem very environmentally friendly. What? Washing a shirt every day. Oh, true. But that's what I do. Yeah, washing clothes. Just let yourself get rained on. Yeah, just let your tears wash the dirt away. Then it will become encrusted with salt. But anyway, the point of this part of the story is that all of the new employees sort of got last pick of the shirts. So I always got like a double XXL, you know, like something that was way, way too big for me. And this was in the middle of the summer. So I would be like wearing these like shorts and the shirt that like almost went down to the end of the shorts. So I looked like frumpy as fuck. They made you just look like a little ragamuffin in a dress, like wandering the streets. I know, I know. And, and there was one day when I had gone to all these houses and like people were saying like, Got to cut spending somewhere. It's a tough market out there. Stuff like that. There was one day when I had like 30 minutes left and I still had to get like 20 more dollars. I decided, well, let's not say I decided. I panicked and then my actions were I started (laughs) running. And so I was running down the road. I panicked and then my actions were. Looking as frumpy as can be. And with like my backpack sort of like clumsily like bouncing on my back. Yeah. And these guys drive by in a pickup truck and they say, run, Forrest, run. How humiliating can my life be? 
<laughs> I can't believe I'm doing this job. And then I think I worked there two more days. And then they fired him. <laughs> oh, no. It's still funny. Okay, we'll tell more later. That is frumpy okay. as can be. <laughs> Frumped up. I mean, now I feel like that's a really cute image. Like, just backpack and, like, this huge shirt and just, like... Okay, but I was, like, 19. Like, I could see that if I were, like, 8. Oh, I thought you were younger than that. No, it was a yeah. summer college job. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was the summer I made you the um, the mashed potatoes with the cheddar block. <laughs> <laughs> More on that later, audience. <laughs> gotta, gotta have your brain food after that. Yeah. I think I've told that already. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so the next story, this is another one where I don't think we need to talk too much about it. But so, oh, wait, no, you're talking about it. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> this one's called A Mother. Mm-hmm. You get immediately the sense that this isn't like a glowing review of a mother. Because it's just <laughs> a mother. <laughs> it starts with... One star. (laughs) (laughs) The concept of mothers, meh. (laughs) (laughs) Not into it. Um, So this is about um, a woman called Mrs. Hollahan. Nope. Hollahan? No. Mrs. Kearney? Yeah, but the story opens on the guy. That's why maybe you're confused. It opens on Mr. Hollahan, and then it switches to talking about Mrs. Kearney or Kearney. So basically, there's this... This is, again, all these stories have elements of, like, Ireland is great, we need to stand behind Ireland, and then, like, Ireland's constantly getting beaten down. So some people are trying to raise it up, and there's this society for, like, basically Irish culture and arts, and they're into teaching people the Irish language... Um, as opposed to the English language and Irish traditional music and dance and things. So they're putting on this, like, I guess, benefit concert to get this kind of music out there, but also, like, raise money for the society. And there's a woman called Mrs. Kearney, and she has a daughter, like, a young kind of teenage young woman daughter named Kathleen. And Kathleen Kearney is what? (laughs) She has a daughter, like a young kind of teenage (laughs) young woman daughter. You can picture it, right? (laughs) That's the thing. Like, you, you read these old stories and you're like... Is she 13 or is she getting married or both? Like, I don't know. I think she's about 19. (laughs) I think she was about the age Theo was when he was frantically running along making his good decisions. (laughs) No, I would like to assert once again that that was not a decision. It's just a thing that happened after he panicked. Yes. (laughs) I'm having a lot of goofy laughs this time. (laughs) Yeah, you literally sound like goofy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can't make fun of my laugh. Why? Oh, by by the way, audience, Jackie has another cat. <laughs> yeah, Jackie got a new cat. What's the cat's name? Goofy. Eshaveria. You don't know your cat's name? <laughs> it's Eshaveria. Okay. Does it have a question mark at the end? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, like, it's the name of a cactus or something? Anyway. Oh, I'm so sorry. I know this is taking forever, but I really want to tell a story about Eshaveria. Theo? Can I? Do as you may. Okay, so Eshaveria is a foster cat that I got last week, Mm -hmm. and they were like, yeah, she's kind of shy. They never give you any information because they have no information. This cat (laughs) just came from nowhere, and they're just like— All they know, it's a cat. It's a cat. I look in this carrier that they give me. I can't see a thing. It looks like there's nothing in there. She is so, so, so dark black. It's like I've seen black cats, right? But I've never seen a cat that, like, sucks in all the light like this. You cannot photograph her. Black hole cat. Vanta black. And she's so cute, though. And um, here's the thing. She's also very shy. She has never voluntarily let me touch her. And until last night, so I'd had her for five full days, and she would not come anywhere near me. But my God, does she yell. She yells and yells and yells. And I've never had a cat that so clearly wanted to (laughs) communicate verbally but wanted nothing to do with being touched. It's not 
just that she yells. She wants to talk to me. Like, she doesn't quiet down until I respond to her. <laughs> like, in multiple nights. I'm not joking. You sound a little crazy now. Like, she'll just go, <laughs> meow, 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 meow. And then I'm like, hey, baby, what's going on? And then she'll go, and then she'll be quiet for a while. But the funny thing she'll do is that she will do this horrifying <laughs> loud sound. And you can hear it on a different floor of the house. And she will go, something like that. Like a, like a demon sound. Like a whale? Like the bloop? I don't know. It's like, it's like weird. This is the start of a horror novel. She's losing it. <laughs> I don't know. She does. She's like, and then I'm like, Ashberry, what are you doing? And then she goes, meow. You weren't supposed to hear that one. Meow. I'm normal. Meow. I know. Like she does these crazy things. And then I talk to her and she always goes, like a little normal cat response. Okay. When you said yell. No, she yells. When you impersonated her, it, it still sounded like meowing to me. <laughs> Yelling. She's like, she's like, fuck. <laughs> I feel like we have a long distance relationship because she sits across the room and just talks to me and won't come near me. I wonder if you're going to end up keeping this one. I will record this for you if you don't believe me. I will record her doing this. She changes her tone when I talk to her into a normal cat. Record it and put it on TikTok. People love that shit. Okay. If Jackie ends up recording it, we'll insert it here. If it's a lie, I won't insert anything. <laughs> Wink. Theo's going to set me up. He's going to not insert it just to make it sound like I lied. No. I can tell. No, no, no I know him. No, no, I know you. No, that's not what my wink was about. The wink was like, we know she's not going to send it. So the implication is that she lied. Okay, anyway. So um, Mrs. Kearney, her daughter Kathleen, is like known around Dublin for being like accomplished at the piano. And she's also like a good speaker of Irish. And her name is Kathleen. Like, honestly, the the story says that. It's like, no, I'm emphasizing like it's a good, strong Irish name like Kathleen. Kathleen Kearney. Kathleen Kearney. So yeah. she's literally like, we decided to capitalize on our daughter's name by getting her involved in Irish stuff. And you can kind of draw a parallel back to the first episode where we talked about the mom who ran the boarding house and she was like controlling what happened with her daughter in that border. Like this is another mom who's like, I'm going to win. This is a game. My daughter's life is like a strategy that I'm I'm filling out. This daughter is tapped to like accompany the singer at this concert and there's going to be a set of four concerts and she's going to be paid eight guineas. So they do this and she gets to the first concert and there's like almost no one there. And the mom is like, this sucks. Like, Also, she had done a lot of work like yeah. organizing the concert and coming up with the best like, like organization for performers and, and she bought a bunch of tickets to give to friends. Yeah. So she's like, oh my God, this is our ticket. Like, this is Kathleen's going to be, her career's going to take off and, like, all of this. Mm -hmm. So the first night of the, like, the first concert comes and there's, like, nobody there. And she's like, all right, well, this is not meeting my expectations. The next night, kind of the same thing. Like, it's a little better attended, but she said, like, the audience isn't really paying attention. They're treating it like a dress rehearsal. Like, the other musicians aren't very good, so she's pissed. And then the third night, they're like, well, we're just going to cancel this one because we're hoping that will increase the <laughs> the attendance at tomorrow's, the, the fourth and final one. And for some reason, I'm just thinking of, like, us with our podcast. We're like, all right, well, how do we get more people to do this? <laughs> and, like, when do we take this one away? Maybe it'll funnel people over it, here. It's also, um, Hollihan is, like, a huge idiot and doesn't know what he's doing because he tells her like oh yeah we purposefully put all the good performers in one night mm -hmm. so the first two nights when you want like a good review 
they didn't put anyone that anyone wanted to see. <laughs> yeah. So she had come up with this schedule that would maximize the attendance, and he just, like, messed it up. Yeah. Her schedule that she created to maximize the attendance again was like, eh, there's some there's some numbers in here I don't think anyone's going to want to hear. So she, like, <laughs> made sure to put them in between more popular numbers so the audience wouldn't notice. <laughs> so anyway— the third night gets canceled, and she's like, okay, well, you said you would pay eight guineas this for this, though, so you still have to pay her even though we're only doing three. Yeah, we have a contract. Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, we don't know. We'll have to bring it up to the committee. And she's like, there's no committee. You just have to pay my daughter. And they're like, uh, you're asking the wrong person. I'm not really sure. We'll work it out, whatever. And so the fourth night comes. This is supposed to be, like, you know, the last and uh, biggest night of the concert. And unluckily, it's raining. So it's like there's probably going to be pretty poor attendance again. She brings her husband to back her up. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I'll, I'll come. I'll, I'll be a man there and, like, get them to pay you. So she, like, hack, like accosts them basically and is like, look, you've got to pay my daughter the full amount or we're not doing this. And she, like, pulls her from the stage and is like, she's not going on until you pay her and they're like okay 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 so they rush and get like half the money and give it to her and they say we'll give you the other half of the money like after the intermission like after she does this mrs um kearney is like well this is still short like you haven't given me fully half and they're like whatever whatever don't be so trifling like let your daughter go on so she sends kathleen on she does the songs they don't get the rest of the money and she and she pulls her daughter from the concert and gets in like this big public fight with mr hollihan and he's like i thought you were a lady and she was like well i'm not done with with you yet and he says but I'm done with you and then that's the end of basically her career is extremely tarnished her daughter Kathleen's career is basically over well they say that but we don't know Kathleen gets mentioned in a later story and nothing bad is said about her so we don't know if that hurts her career or not but I don't think I would want that career yeah they I mean you don't get paid who cares (laughs) I know well what I read about the story is that who knows right like people could be misinterpreting this and I may have just read the wrong thing but What I think maybe Joyce was trying to get at and what a lot of people take from it is Mrs. Kearney's desire like for control and perfection and her image and her social standing ultimately like she loses sight of the bigger picture and damages her reputation because she's like trying so hard to keep it. And it says like, oh, there's one time where she says like, you know, it's just that I'm a woman. Like they wouldn't treat me like this if I were a man. And that's like the one moment where you're supposed to feel sorry for her. I'm like, I felt sorry for her the whole time. This sucks. Yeah. Also, so in the beginning of the story, we learn about Mrs. Kearney's background and she is like very well educated and accomplished. And she was like very beautiful and had wonderful manners in her youth, but she was a romantic. And when she w- had all these suitors, she thought like, oh, these guys are crass. Uh, they're stupid. What's the point of getting with them? And then it says she finally got married after all of her friends were starting to be like, what's taking her so long? Mm -hmm. And she ended up marrying a boot maker who was older because she's like, look, if I can't have romance, I'd rather have like a steady guy with a, you know, decent career. Yeah. So it was a purely practical, loveless decision. But he, it does seem like he's a pretty nice guy and their relationship is is decent. It says that they're the couple, right, where it says that uh, she was a good wife to him and that when they were at a party, all she had to do was, like, slightly raise one eyebrow and he would be like, oh, it looks like we have to leave. And then, and then when he was at home and he was, like, feeling not great, she would always, like, put a blanket on his feet and get him some tea. Wow. So it seems like they actually have a good relationship. Yeah. But— she she lost a lot of social standing by marrying him. That's basically. So she wants her daughters to go back up. 
Yeah. In the world of these stories, all you have to do to be a good spouse is give them a drink when it's cold out. That's the bar you have to clear, honestly. <laughs> and not beat your yeah. kids, maybe. Or raise that brow. Raise that brow. So yeah, she she is not treated as a very sympathetic character. She's like one of these people who like are striving for status and stuff and they're social climbers, but they it doesn't do them any good in the end. But I'm just like, yeah, they did treat her badly because she's a woman and they should have paid her. Yeah. Yeah. Am I being too capitalist about it? I don't know. Theo's a musician. What do you think? If you sign a contract to pay a pianist, should you pay them? Well, it depends on how much exposure they're getting. (laughs) Well, not if it's me paying them. Yeah, right. If I'm the pianist, they need to pay me. If I'm paying the pianist, eh, we'll see. Eh, Yeah. There are plenty of pianists. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Have you been enjoying these... Warm, cuddly tales. (laughs) If you like these warm, cuddly tales, why don't you consider going to patreon.com slash firethecanon. It's the name of our podcast, and that's our Patreon page as well. We we would love any support you could offer. We have different tiers of giving uh, with different prizes. I always call them prizes. (laughs) Why don't you just call them like benefits or perks or something? Rewards. Oh, that's good. (laughs) With different benefits, such as you can hear bonus content, which you're going to love, or you can get a sticker, which you're going to love. (laughs) If you wanted to, you could even give us a bit of money to tell us what book to do next or my book to do soon and we'll do it no questions asked yeah you can find us at fire the cannon pod on twitter tiktok instagram check us out love it back to the episode okay so grace uh the story opens so first before we start um i read that some joyce scholars think it's sort of got the like inferno purgatorio like whatever, heaven, the structure that Dante would use or whatever. But anyway, so it starts with um, a guy who is like blackout drunk, passed out, all over bloody. And everyone's like, who is this guy? What's his name? What's he doing here? What happened to him? He's on the floor of a bathroom in a pub. Yeah. And it just so happens a guy named Mr. Powers walks by and he's like, oh, I know that guy. That's my friend Tom Kernan. And... (laughs) Jack Powers. I would know him anywhere. He always looks just like that. Yeah, so... uh, It's hard for me to recognize him when he's not bloodied on a bathroom floor. That's just Tom's thing. Don't worry about it. I actually thought what was about to happen is he was about to stand up and then start asking people riddles or something. Riddles three? What? Why? And they're going to be like, I don't know. You should really go to the hospital, I think. And he's just like, no. Hear my next riddle. Why did you have that thought? (laughs) I don't know. My mind just went there. I have nothing to add. (laughs) Is that what you do when you get drunk, Theo? You present people with riddles? Okay, that's going to be my new thing. I'm going to learn a lot of riddles, and then people are going to know me as the riddle drunkard. (laughs) <laughs> the riddle it sounds drunkard. like the little drunkard. I know, sounds like whittle Jack. Whittle Jack. <laughs> Baby drunkards. Answer my whittle twee. Answer my whittle twee. That's pretty good. So anyway, so it turns out he like fell and he bit off part of his tongue. Oh. Powers takes him home and his wife's like, oh, okay, this guy again. That's got to be a symbol for something, right? Biting off part of your tongue. Mm. Yeah, maybe, probably. 
I just every English class that like teaches you to overanalyze things for symbols, mm. it's Joyce's fault because everything literally is a symbol <laughs> or could be at least. Joyce might be like, "What are you talking about?" Mm, he's got a lot of symbols. It's all about my wife's sweet ass or whatever. What? He was really into his wife's butt. It's a bunch of symbols for my wife's butt. <laughs> yeah. Whomst among us is not into Joyce's wife's butt? Let me ask that. Oops, indeed. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Okay. You can picture So he's it. home and he's stuck in bed recovering because of his terrible fall. And in the meantime, four of his friends show up, like a few of them and then some other ones. And they've decided that they're basically going to stage an intervention. And the intervention is there's this retreat that the Jesuits are putting on for businessmen. And we're all going do you want to come with us? Mm. Yeah. And he's he's a Protestant who converted to Catholicism for his wife when he got married, but he's not really, like, super into the Catholic Church. And they're like, well, he needs to come back to us. Yeah, he needs to be more religious. Because he's, he's fucking up his life. Catholics, yeah. they never drink a lot of alcohol. Not <laughs> yeah. something that they do at all. They get together and tell him all these stories about how the Catholic Church has never made any mistakes. and <laughs> Oh, yeah. it's So basically, the whole whole story is like it's very obvious that none of them know what they're talking about so they have like one friend who everyone's like oh he's the smart friend none of them know what they're talking about if you the problem is you have to know a lot of like catholic trivia i mean if you know some christian stuff then you know that they're wrong about some stuff but if you know a lot about catholicism or like catholic history or whatever then you'll realize these guys are idiots some of the stuff is just incorrect and some is like totally the opposite it's just yeah they don't know what they're talking about but they're they go on and on about catholicism for their whole story almost yeah, you would you would definitely get more out of it if you understood a lot about Catholicism and the history of the church. But there's a few parts where like they were clearly just getting confused. Like, um, yeah, oh yeah, lux upon lux. <laughs> yeah, they have a disagreement about like the previous pope's motto or something, and they they get like three different versions of it, and they're like, yeah, uh, oh yeah, that one's right, that one's right. And then at one point, I I uh, highlighted this one. Mr. Kernan, the one who, like, bit off part of his tongue and is in bed now and his friends are visiting, he keeps complaining and he's like, oh, no, I just feel gross. And they're like, well, yeah, because you're really hungover. And he's like, no, it, there's, like, something dripping down my throat. It's, like, phlegm or mucus or something. And Mr. McCoy, who's, like, supposed to be the smart one, just says, yes, yes, that's the thorax. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, the funny thing, so when they had the whole argument about, like, what was the Pope's motto – so first they're like, it was lux upon lux, which why would it be English and Latin combined? Light upon Then they light. come up with something else and they're like, no, it's like know. lux something something. They come up with something else. Someone's like- It's light upon darkness. They say, no, it, it's lux upon lux because it's a commentary on the previous Pope's motto, which was crux upon crux, which would be cross <laughs> upon cross. But it, no, here's the thing. Pope's- do not have mottos. Really? <laughs> yes. So not only did they come up with these like very stupid half English, half Latin mottos, like popes don't have personal mottos. And they all are repetitive and rhyme. Yeah. Okay, but Pope upon Pope. That's my motto. <laughs> it sounds like it was just it was this long game of telephone from the Vatican to Ireland where the, the Pope said, I don't have a motto, and it eventually got turned into Cru- Lux upon Lux. Lux upon Lux. <laughs> 
Crooks, punk, crooks, punk, crooks. Rex on Rex on Rex. <laughs> yeah, that's so back in college, that song came out as like Rex on Rex on Rex. But for some reason, I thought it was Rex upon Rex upon Rex. <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> yeah, I did. For, so like that one Rex. little change just made it so, so bad. Stacks upon stacks upon stacks. It's like, oh, found the white girl. Like, doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. First while, we were stacking racks upon racks. This is a part they say, oh, one of Pope, you know, one of Pope Leo's poems was on the invention of the photograph in Latin, of course, which makes me think like that, that must be a joke that I don't get. Like there's no way he wrote a poem about photographs. No, he did. What? In Latin. Yeah, he did. Photographs have been around for a while. I know that, but I thought they would just must have been misinterpreting the poem. No, I, I'm pretty sure that's right. But like apparently, so that's the one part they got right. Why? Why do you know that's right? Because I read the notes in the back of the book. Oh, There's okay. like a hundred pages of annotations. Oh, okay. I've seen the poem too. It goes like, "Lordus photographs." Are you? You're laughing at my accent, not the. No, that's a good. That's yeah. a. I, I thought about. It's that a good right. joke. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I sh- I'll translate it to Latin before the next episode. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Theo, you should do or that. Or if he doesn't, then he's a liar or something. Eke, I don't know what photograph is in Latin. Do you know at? Uh, I think you could imply Is Eke just like, behold? Yeah, Eke. Behold, photograph. Eke is like, <laughs> okay. Can you say, yeah. every time I do, it makes me laugh. Oh my gosh. Do you want me to um, just, I'll, la- I'll Google translate it right now. I don't know if they have a Latin word for photograph. Do they keep updating Latin? vocabulary so actually they did they kept updating latin into the middle ages just in time for photographs vide hunk imaginum photographicum quotiens id facio <laughs> ut rideam all right but do it in the uh in the chad kroger voice. Uh, i can't do that voice do it in the nickelback voice i don't i don't have a nickelback voice in me <laughs> you don't have a nickelback Wait, voice? let me just send it in the chat and then you really? guys do it you can't say eke you have to say vide that's what it's, I mean, for look at, I guess if you don't want it to be look at, you want it to be behold. But here, one of you do. I sent it in the Facebook Messenger chat. One of you do it. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's either behold, low, or see. So if you want, you could say, eke, 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 and you could say, lo, behold, see. Mm. Okay, well, no, read in the Facebook chat. Do it in the song. Do it in the Nickelback voice. Really honk, you Phota. Photographicon. <laughs> I just sound like strong bad. Photographicon. Cordians and Vacio on radio. He sounds like animal. He sounds like animal from the Muppets. Come on, Pogogaz. Jackie's gonna die. He sounds just like animal trying to speak Latin. He's not trying to sound like animal, though. I'm trying to sound like strong bad. I know he's not. That's what makes it funnier. <laughs> I got the photograph. <laughs> like, that's what Okay. The other thing, though, about this particular pope, Leo, I forget what his number was, but they're all like, oh, man, yeah, that guy, he was known around the world for being so smart, even apart from being the pope. Apparently, he was, like, not very smart. Like, people don't think of him as a very smart pope, but he did write, like, one poem in Latin. Whoa. But so they just don't know what they're talking about. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so then the story ends with... The five of them all at a Jesuit church, like listening to a sermon. But the funny thing is that the way that they're seated, it's like 
two in one pew, one in the pew behind them, and then two more in the pew at the back. And the one who's like all by himself, he he wanted to sit with the other ones, but like there wasn't space. Yeah, he had like tried to join in and then it like didn't work. And then he tried to make a joke about how they were all positioned, but like nobody laughed and he's like, oh, right, we're at church. Never mind. <laughs> this was also the same guy who earlier in the story when they all gathered in the friend's room, like they were te- like some of them were referencing something that had happened happened and it said he pretended not to know the story just so he could like have an excuse to enter the conversation yeah he's like oh what is that about and it was just so that he could say something whoa that one was called grace now the final story and this one i told jackie yeah this one is quite long it's about a third of the whole book what it's basically a novella yeah but it won't take us that long to talk about No, when you said it was a novella, I got scared and I thought it would take me like a whole day to read, but it didn't take that long. Um, but it, it, No, novella. It's like 40 pages. Is it kind of like a tour de force? I mean, it is kind of like a tour de force. It's called The Dead. And you think this one's going to be super depressing? It's kind of depressing, but it's not that bad. It's complex. It's got lots of emotions. That's what makes something good. You should have called it Sad Death. Sad Death. All right, shall we? We shall. So, oh, I do want to say this particular story, T.S. Eliot said it's one of the greatest short stories ever written. Hmm. I have to say I... uh, You agree? I don't know that much about short stories. Yeah, I agree. It's one of the greatest short stories you've ever read. Yeah. All right, here we go. You want to start us out and then I'll jump in or... Yeah, sure. So every year, these two sisters named Julia and Kate throw a party together And they've been doing this for a very long time. Now they're in their, like, 50s or 60s. And Julia is kind of, like, starting to lose it a little bit. Like, she kind of walks around, like, looking like she doesn't know where she is. But she's got a beautiful singing voice. And she always sings for the people at the party. Kate is a little more with it. And she's just, like, super, you know, just jolly and happy. And then they have um, their niece, right, Mm -hmm. who also stays with them and is, like, the third hostess of this party. And they had brought her there as a child to live with them. Now it's 30 years later. So she's she's about our age, and uh, she is called Mary Jane, and she plays the piano. So they're they're all great ladies, um, but they throw this party. Christmas party, correct? Or no? It's after the New Year. It's January 6th. It's like— Like a holiday party. Yeah, it's like something to commemorate, like, the Magi— acknowledging the divinity of Christ or something. It's like one of those 12 days of Christmas things. I don't know. Mm. I can never figure out what the 12 days are, but I think this is one of them. So yeah, it's holidays. It's snowing a lot, like a lot more than normal for, for Ireland. And it's snowing all over the whole country. And the party guests start to arrive. And the main, like, I guess the main character is um, Gabriel. Gabriel comes with his wife, Greta. Mm-hmm. He is... How would you describe him, Rachel? He's kind, he's kind of a complex character, but he's he's kind of wrapped up in his own thoughts and he may not always be the most He's an academic. He's an academic. He is a teacher and he also writes he's a literature critic, so he does like a weekly column for this newspaper, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But he doesn't put his full name on it. It's a conservative newspaper and of course there's this tension throughout all the stories between It's not a conservative newspaper, it's a unionist newspaper. So it's a paper 
for people who want Ireland to be part of England. Yeah, wouldn't that also be conservative, though? Like, No. No? The conservatives were, uh, they were a different thing. Some conservatives, they you wouldn't describe it that way. You would call it unionist. Okay. So anyway, so it's a unionist paper, and he doesn't put his full name on the articles that he writes. He puts his initials. But so he's at this party, and the reason that's kind of a big deal is that, you know, there's Irish nationalism is kind of the thing that a lot of people are wanting, right? Like Ireland to be a own country not to stay part of England and the United Kingdom forever. Mm-hmm. And so writing for this paper is kind of like a sign that you're maybe on their side. You shouldn't be contributing. Mm-hmm. Um, so this party happens, and in addition to him, you have, like, the guy who always shows up drunk, like, way too drunk every mm-hmm. year. You get, like, the guy who comes and sings. You get the, you know, just everybody kind of has their little role. Like, the older guy who flirts with all the girls, he's there. Mm-hmm. And so these people have all known each other for a very long time. Did we say that Gabriel is the nephew of the women throwing the party? I did not say that, but yeah, he they are um, his aunts. That's why he's the star, and they're, like, so excited for him to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's their favorite nephew. His mom had had died some years earlier, so that's those are the two sisters that are left. All right, Rachel, you take it from here. Okay. Well, your turn. <laughs> All right. I set I set the stage. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Now it's my turn to shine like a nephew. Shine like a favorite nephew. Shine. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't nephew actually like gender neutral? Like, doesn't it come from nepos or something? And it's like. It didn't originally mean like a male child of your sibling? No, it used to be the sound you make when you sneeze. And a few like that. It used to be. Yeah, I think you're asking a Latin guy a Greek question. Jackie. What? You didn't like that joke, did you? It was fine. (laughs) Anyway. You've got good jokes, Theo. I'm not going to sully your good jokes by laughing at that one. I thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) Okay. All right. Let's move on. Let's go back. When you hear it back in the edit, the timing's going to be perfect. It's going to be sweet. It's going to be a good joke. Mm -hmm. And everyone's going to be like, why didn't Jackie laugh at that? It was so sweetly timed. I think it's because I was distracted. I was thinking, I was like, that's got to be a Greek word. <laughs> Why would the It's not. It's Latin. It's Latin? I, yeah. Okay, here, I'm just going to insert some laughter from a different time when Jackie really laughed. Like the goofy laugh? I mean, if I just repeat that one, it'll sound normal. It'll be like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> that is not normal. She's broken. Okay, okay. We're almost done. All right, so Gabriel and his wife show up. And he sees, like, they have a young maid named Lily. And he's like, oh, I've known Lily since she was a little girl. And he's, like, talking to her while she's hanging his coat up. He gives her, like, a really big tip because it's Christmas. Also because he insulted her, kind of. Uh, Well, we'll get to that. So he's like, how's it going? And she tells him, he's like, wow, are you, you know, are you almost done with school? She says, oh, I've left school over a year ago. And he says, oh, so I guess it's almost time for you to get married. And she immediately, like, totally changes and says, like, all men are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> she turns from the serving girl. Like cheerful young teen. Sounds like she's possessed. She It says that she said it with great bitterness. Do you want to read it, Jackie? Yeah. She says, the men that is now is only all palaver and what they can get out of you. And that's all she says. And then he's like, oh. oh. And then he gets really embarrassed. Like, he even thinks, like, why am I this embarrassed? <laughs> but it's so awkward. But he also kind of thinks to himself, like, oh, that didn't go well because I'm really educated and she's not. So we, we, we just can't communicate, you know, like, that's why she didn't get my. <laughs> <laughs> also, it has him being like, oh, I wish I could start this whole conversation all over from the beginning. <laughs> and so here's what he does. He So he takes out a coin and he's like, 
oh, Lily, it's Christmas time. Here, Here's a little thing. And then it says he walks rapidly towards the door. So is he walking away from her or towards her? He was in a coat room, so I think towards her? I don't know. No, it says, oh, no, sir, cried the girl following him. So he's oh. walking away from her, holding out a coin, saying, Lily, Christmas time. Like, come on, come on, come get this coin. Yeah, and then she says, and then she follows him and says, oh, no, sir, I couldn't. I couldn't take it as she's following him. And he says, this is a quote, Christmas time, Christmas time, <laughs> said Gabriel. And then seeing that he was almost up the stairs, then she decided to take the coin. So she's like, okay, fine. What a bizarre. He's a weird guy. Christmas time, Christmas he's time. He's an awkward guy. Christmas time, Christmas time as he's running away. <laughs> Gotta catch me, I'm the Christmas elf. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even that would have been better, right? Than just saying Christmas time. Yeah. Like, hey, you've got nothing better to do, right? You're not getting married anytime soon. Come get this coin. <laughs> that explains why I thought it was a yeah. Christmas party, because the main character keeps yelling Christmas time time <laughs> yeah, but it's actually january 6th <laughs> what a weirdo okay all right <laughs> this is a really bad joke but i'm imagining like at the january 6th insurrection they all just like burst into the the capital and they're just like christmas, christmas time, time christmas, christmas time. time you can't get us it's christmas <laughs> oh they're just confused that's no problem the cops are like no 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 we couldn't possibly arrest you as they're chasing <laughs> okay okay no crimes on christmas go ahead so he's like He's at this party and he's he's recovering a little bit and he sees one of the guests, Miss Ivers, who is sort of a friend of his. Old friend they're of both his. Um, academics. I think they're colleagues, sort of. Mm-hmm. But she tells him like, hey, I figured out your secret. A colleague showed me a review for like Robert Browning's poems and I recognized your writing style. So I know it's you. And she accuses him of being like a like a West Britain or a something, West Britain. which are the people who were like want Ireland to be. West Britain. Part of England, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's like frozen and he's thinking, well, how should I respond? You know, should I say that, like, I think literature is above politics? And he's like, no, she'll know that it's bullshit. (laughs) I can't give her that excuse. He tries to brush it off and he's just like, oh, what do you mean? Like, what's what's there so bad about that? It's just a paper. Yeah, but so anyway, then they later they're dancing, like everyone's dancing and she's his assigned partner and she brings it up again. Um, he's like, oh, what should I say? And he even thinks to himself, I mean, honestly, I'm not even doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the free books. But he feels really awkward. And he's like, oh, I can't believe she'd call me out in front of everyone. And she kind of brushes it off. And she says, oh, you should go on, um, you and your wife should go on vacation with us to this one particular part of Ireland. Is it Galway? No, it's like the Isle of Aries or something. Aries. Well, uh, wait, his wife's from Galway, right? Something like that. Anyway... So she invites them on this vacation to Ireland, and he's like, oh, I don't want to go because we have another vacation planned. And they always go to, like, the continent. And she's saying, well, you know, like, Kathleen Kearney, the daughter from before, like, Mm. she's coming, and these other people are coming. You should come with us. And he's like, nah, nah, nah. And she says, wait, why do you want to go there? Like, isn't your own country good enough for you? And he kind of gets really offended and he's like i don't even really think of it as my country it's just weird he he's very uncomfortable i got it wrong i it was it's the aaron isles okay do you want to come to the aaron isles and they speak irish there so she's like yeah what you're too good to to go to this part of the country that speaks irish and he's like i'm sick of ireland if you want to know the truth i'm sick of it and he has this outburst they don't speak irish there like that's not the language everybody speaks people are like at this point in history people are really just starting to kind of learn it again what she's saying is he says he likes to go to europe to practice his 
to practice languages, like to keep up with his mm -hmm. Spanish and French. And she's saying, well, you should just stay in Ireland and practice your own language of Irish. And he's like, it's not really my language. Mm -hmm. So it's just an awkward situation. She also like has this pin, like a Celtic knotwork pin. And he thinks like, I wonder if she's really like as into this or if she, you know, if it's just virtue signaling basically. And so it's just very awkward. And he talks to his wife later and says, oh, yeah, she invited us on this trip. And his wife gets kind of excited. And she's like, well, I'd love to go visit Galway again. Like, it would be nice to be in to travel around to where I grew up. And he's like, no. <laughs> and she says to someone, get a load of my husband. Why don't you? So anyway, his night is just not going the way that he wanted it to. Um, like Miss Ivers ends up leaving early, but she seems cheerful. So he's like, I guess she's not bothered. It turns out it's time for them to carve the goose and they're all waiting for him to do it. And the whole time he's been like thinking in his head, I always give the toast. What speech am I going to make? So he's been sort of writing this speech the whole night. So he goes in and he carves the goose and he's passing it out and he finally gives this speech. And do you want to talk about it? Yeah. So when, when Miss Ivers had accosted him, he... He was like, you know what? I'm going to add a part to my speech where I talk about how the old times were so much more hospitable and the newer people are too educated for their own good and that makes them impolite. Yeah. And he's going to look right at Miss Ivers and be like, hmm. Um, but unfortunately, she <laughs> leaves so she doesn't get to see that part of his speech. Oh, no. Um, I know. But it basically is about how Ugh. the hostesses, so my, my Aunt Julia and my Aunt Kate and Mary Jane, they're top of the line hostesses. They're so hospitable. Um, Aunt Julia saying this beautiful song. And hospitality is this wonderful Irish tradition. The Irish yeah. way, yes. And and we all love Irish traditions. Irish traditions are so important to me. And we shouldn't cling too closely to the past because what matters is the fact that we're all together right now. And I thought that was a nice sentiment. Like, yeah. you know, we've gathered here as friends and we're supposed to enjoy the moment, but he's contradicting himself. I know. Also, later on, he's like kicking himself like, what a stupid speech I gave. But anyway. Yeah. So he gives this very sentimental speech speech and it's very well received yeah because he mentions one of his his very old aunt had sung a song and her voice just sounded really really nice so he like mentions that and he's like yeah they're so awesome and everyone bursts out cheering and they sing a song to celebrate the hostesses and it just seems like a very nice party and it was a little surprising that his aunt did such a good job of singing that song because that was the one he's described as like She's throughout the story. She's just like wandering around. She barely knows what's going on. Yeah. Her mouth is hanging open. She looks like she's aged terribly. And he's like, God, she's just like totally lost it. But then she like somehow still has this like perfect singing voice. So it was it was a contrast. Yeah, better. Everyone's like, this is actually the best she's ever sung. And she's like, oh, come on, maybe 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he does this and then everyone's leaving, but gave. Gabriel looks up and he sees his wife standing at the top of the stairs and someone is playing the piano in the drawing room. And singing a song. And singing a song. And it's this kind of older sentimental tune about a young love or something. And his wife is just standing there just looking absolutely enraptured, but also 
thoughtful and sad. And he's thinking, like, how beautiful she looks and how he wishes he could paint her and, yeah. Yeah, he was like, gosh, what a strange mood that she's in. And he thinks to himself, like, I wish I could be the master of that mood. Like, I wish that was directed at me. I wish that, you know. And so he gets, like, really super attracted to her in that moment, his wife. And he's like, I can't wait to take her home and just, like. Kiss her. Hug her (laughs) a lot and kiss Uh, her, hold her hand. Yeah. (laughs) All the things that you could do when you're married. But also we learned that he and his mother sort of had a falling out because she didn't want him to marry Greta because Greta is like a country girl who's pretty low class, like didn't have any family. And so his mom was against their marriage, but he was in love with her. So he's like, no, I'm going to marry her. So he did. And it seems like he's still very happy with his decision. Yeah. So but he sees her in in this setting and it makes him like this fire of desire ignites within him. Fire, I didn't mean to rhyme that. Mm -hmm. I loved it. Sound like an 80s hairband, Jackie. Yeah. So they're staying at a hotel nearby and he's kind of like, oh, like the kids are being watched. Like it's like we're teenagers again and we're like sneaking away to the hotel and she's walking in front of him and the whole time he just can't think about anything except like grabbing her. Checking out her butt. Yeah. I mean. He's like, I just want to put my arms around her waist and like hold her here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So they get to the hotel and he's like, okay, how do I do this? Which I was like, what? She's your wife. Just He's like planning his wife's seduction in his mind. He's like, I'm going to say her name in this particular way and then she'll look at me and then it'll be on. Yeah, but instead, like, she's like tired and she's like taking off her, her clothes in a not sexy way and he's just like oh, no. making like light conversation like they don't know each other very well or something. I think he says something to her about the song, right? Like, oh, it seems like you really like that song. Yeah. And she, like, bursts into tears. And he's like, oh, God, this isn't going well. And he's like, well, (laughs) why are you so emotional about that? And she says, it reminds me, it's a song that a boy that I used to know in Galway used to sing to me. And he's like, did you love him? And she's like, we spent a lot of time together. We walked together. Like, we walked out together. Oh, everybody knows what that means, though. Yeah. So something that people always notice is that his name is Gabriel and the boy that she used to know is named Michael. So those are like the two archangels. But so his name is Michael Fury. And when she says that to him, he's like, oh, now I see why you wanted to go to Galway. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he says, I don't know. Maybe you want to see him? And she's like... He's dead. Ooh. So he his emotions are just all over the place. So he finds himself like getting upset and then kind of jealous and then he feels sad. But then he's like speaking very tenderly to her. It's just he's all over the place. We learn from him talking to her that so Michael died when he was 17 and he was a very delicate boy, but he worked in like a gas lamp factory. I don't know, which was which would have been really hard on the Constitution. It turns out she was going to be sent away to a convent school to get an education. But the weeks before she left, he wasn't doing very well. And he was stuck, like, in his house in bed. Uh, She wasn't allowed to see him. So she wrote him a letter and was like, I'm leaving soon, but I'll see you this summer when I come back. But then that night, she heard some gravel on the window and it was, like, raining and cold outside. She opened the window and this sickly boy was waiting outside. And she told him, like, yeah, she's like, you need to go home. You have to get in bed right now. And he's like, no, I'll just die. And he does. So she finds out like three weeks later, she gets a letter that Michael has died. And obviously she was very upset about it. It's giving me Wuthering Heights vibes. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I can see it. 
she falls asleep and he's like looking at her and just thinking about what she told him. He's thinking like, I feel like such a fool because here I was this whole time just like wrapped up in like my feelings for her, not realizing that she was thinking about this other boy the whole time. Yeah, but she was comparing me and Michael. Yeah, whereas the whole time he was just thinking like, I've been so happy with her. We had so many good times. I can't wait to bang her when we get to the hotel room. And she was just thinking about this thing and being sad and how it like didn't pan out and she's with this guy that she yeah. you know is not Michael. Can't all be um, Michaels, although we do have a lot of Michael friends surrounding us. A lot of people can be Michael. We do have a lot of Michael friends. <laughs> I don't have a Gabriel friend though. <laughs> so he thinks about that and um he also just thinks to himself like he's jealous of Michael cuz he's like not just that because he had his wife's love but because like he is loved in a way that he himself, Gabriel, is not loved. Because he he burned out is what he's saying, yeah. Even though he's dead, his memory lives on and it's important. Whereas he's like, well, when I die, nothing, no one's going to remember me. Like, I don't have that love this way. Nah. And he goes really? to sleep looking at the snow falling and thinking about how the snow is falling on Michael's grave and it's falling all over Ireland. And the idea is, like, one day it's going to fall all over me too. And that's the end. But it's not a sad ending. Like, he's not upset about it. Like, the idea of people's memories fading, he almost finds it, like, comforting. And he thinks, like, well, that makes life even more beautiful. And he's thinking about how, you know, someday his old aunt will be dead and he'll be at her funeral. But, like, tonight she was alive and singing better than she ever had. Mm -hmm. So it's not a sad, depressing, it's not a nobody loves me ending. He's thinking, he's even looking at his wife and he's like, it's not that my wife isn't beautiful anymore, but this is not the face that Michael risked death for. Michael loved and knew. Like, she's changed. Yeah, things change, and someday things will be forgotten, but it's, like, it's okay. <laughs> he's alive, and he he's happy. He's got his sleeping wife. I think it's just more a... He's, it's just a thoughtful ending. It's not a it's not a depressing one like the other ones. Mm. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, the night didn't go the way he wanted it to go. I don't think it's like a super joyous ending or anything. But, you, yeah, you compare it to the other ones where people oftentimes had epiphanies about how they've messed up their lives either through repeated bad actions or through inaction and indecisiveness. And all the signs, like symbolic and otherwise, point to their continued set in that path, basically. Mm -hmm. But with him, this is kind of the only one where you get the sense that, like, he might have enough insight to be able to do something about his own, not situation or sadness, but just that he has at least realized something important and good and maybe it can do him some good instead of him just realizing I fucked up <laughs> and and that being the end of it. Yeah, this was also based on James Joyce's wife, whose name was Nora Barnacle. What? Yeah. She's a SpongeBob character. <laughs> Nora Barnacle. So she actually had two loves in her youth, both named Michael, and both of them died mm. within a few years of each other. And her oh. friends, after the second Michael boyfriend no. died, no, her no, friends no, called no. her like the man no. killer. <laughs> the Black Widow. <gasps> I don't know if it's a man killer, just a Michael killer. Just a, Mi a Michael, Michael killer. killer, but isn't that crazy? So I mean, but seriously, <laughs> after the second one, you would never date another Michael again. Can't even talk to another Michael. Yeah. I know, yeah. You have, you know, the Zodiac killer, you have the Green River killer, and you've got the Michael killer. Like There's it's Nora Barnacle, the Michael killer. <laughs> Nora Barnacle, the Michael. Whoa. We should make a, yeah. 
There should be a mini series. We should make a what? We shouldn't make a, but there should be a mini series. HBO, I think. You want us to make an HBO mini series? <laughs> no, I changed it. All from right, us really, a... really join the Patreon now because Leo wants to make <laughs> a TV right. show. We need to shoot a pilot. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, like the first Michael died in 1896, and then the next Michael died in 1900. Yeah. So like that's hmm. so many dead Michaels for one girl. If it continues at this rate, it's gonna be really bad for Michaels. <laughs> <laughs> at this rate yeah <laughs> one every four years <laughs> yeah there might have been like 60 dead michaels by now well it gets faster and faster like it was like 1900 years before one michael died and then only four years for the next one yeah <laughs> yeah so it would have been like yeah. 10 seconds <laughs> for the next one after that um all right well rachel you said you wanted to rank these yeah from longest to shortest i think this was maybe the best story but i have other ones that i really like too we wanted to talk about the stories i was saying we should kind of rank them a little bit on depressingness and then just good and bad (laughs) we don't have to exactly rank them but if we just say here are the ones that we think are like super depressing and then like here are the ones that are just you know what i'm saying wow i can't believe you guys read all this Oh, we did. I'm amazed. What do we, let's do depressing first, and then we'll do our favorites. Eveline. Okay, you think Eveline's the most depressing? That's the one that comes to my head first, that comes to my mind first. I would say, to me, a painful case, Eveline, and what else? Da-da-da. Which one is Eveline? The one with the girl who's going to leave with the sailor and stays with her abusive dad instead. The one where the girl doesn't get on the ship. So Eveline is depressing. Painful case is depressing. Counterparts is really sucks for that kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what else? I mean, those are the those are the worst ones <laughs> for sure. The, yeah, the saddest ones. Yeah. yeah, those are the saddest ones. Um, as far as not depressing. I don't have any of those. <laughs> the sisters in an encounter aren't too depressing. The first two about the boys. I mean, they're unsettling. They're weird. They're unsettling, but yeah. The dead of the boarding house, some of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, regardless of depressing or not depressing, I mean, which ones do you think are the best? Because it could be depressing, but good. Oh, yeah, I agree. I would say the ones that I thought about after reading them, I did think about Eveline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, <laughs> I don't know, maybe the depressing ones. I thought about a painful case and the dead a lot. What mm-hmm. about you? Those are my three favorites, I would say. Yeah, I don't know about favorites for me. I mean, if I had to pick three favorites, I don't think Eveline would be in it, but I do think that is one of the most depressing ones and one that I thought about a lot. Mm-hmm. I actually, I thought about two gallants a lot. They con the maid. Uh, yes, with the, with the slavey, they call her. But the what I liked about it wasn't, like, the two guys themselves, but I liked Lanahan's, like, the main characters, like, his inner thoughts and how... He's, you know, thinking about putting on this mask and just, like, being so tired of it. and Right. Oh, I liked Clay a lot, too, actually. Oh, I liked Clay. Well, I liked my version of Clay. <laughs> yeah. Wait, which one was he? <laughs> they're like, Where the what? clay just keeps clay? coming clay? and it won't stop coming. <laughs> what about the one where the drunk man presents them with riddles? <laughs> you like that one too? Oh, yeah. Wait, I don't remember what happens after the beginning of that one. Uh, he just has to go to church with his bros. <laughs> I also really like A Little Cloud because that's the one where um, Little Chandler talks about how he's like planning to be this great poet, but he doesn't actually write any poetry. Jackie loves shaking babies, I have to say. That's, oh, no. He doesn't shake the baby. He just he yells goes, at hey, <laughs> shut up, baby. <laughs> hey, baby. All of my favorite ones have that in common where it's like a person realizing stuff about themselves. So, two go 
Nuance, A Little Cloud, A Painful Case, and The Dead. Yeah. So that's four, but those are my four favorites. Yeah. I have to say, I think the back half of this book is a little OP. Almost all of my favorites are in the back half. (laughs) Well, so it starts out with these short stories about kids, and the people get generally older as the book continues, and it also Mm -hmm. goes from summertime to wintertime. I think it's Christmas time. Yeah, sorry. Jackie, it is Christmas time. Christmas time. (laughs) Christmas time. Christmas time. Yeah. (laughs) We're led through the seasons by a man holding a coin saying, Christmas time. Christmas time. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Okay. This is what I told... Jesse Ann, the creative writing friend I told you about. I said, if you are interested in writing short stories, like I said in the last episode, you really do have to read this. I think if you're not interested, I wouldn't really, this is not something I would say everyone needs to read this because I do not think everyone can get something out of this book. And the problem with like extracting certain short stories, right. But also the impact of just a lot of them is so much more than reading one on its own, which, like I said, I did I did in high school. However, the dead can stand by itself. Mm-hmm. I would say I think that I 100% think that the dead needs to be in the canon. You should get high schoolers to read this. I think that it is good. I think that a lot of them would like it, but I also think like they could get a lot from it. That's my take. <laughs> I would agree with that. Um, and I will say that I had never read any Joyce before this. I just knew him as the guy who wrote like the hardest book to read, which is Ulysses. And everybody seems to act like that's really, really hard, which yeah. I- I'm sure it is. But so I was just very intimidated by this. And I was like, uh, Joyce uh, seems yeah. like it's going to be. I, for some reason, I was thinking of him as like the Irish William Faulkner, where it's like it's just going to be a bunch of run on sentences and I'm not going to know what's happening. But it wasn't like that at all. It is in Ulysses, but not in not in uh Dubliners. Yeah, I think that's why I thought that. But in Dubliners, yeah, I mean, the prose is beautiful. It's clear. It's understandable. But there's also a lot of mystery. No ghosts. It's just beautiful. What do you think, Theo? Are you interested in any of this? Yeah, I think they should make a movie out of it. It would have to be a miniseries. What about a movie with lots of parts like Pulp Fiction? It would have to be an HBO miniseries, perhaps? Uh, HBO, uh, give us a million dollars for that idea. (laughs) Become patrons, HBO. What if HBO becomes our next next patron on Patreon? Uh, I would love it. I think we're going to have a lot of contracts we'd have to fulfill, and we might have our creativity stifled a bit, but I don't care. Give me money. Not if they became a patron. Then all they could do is decide (laughs) which book we pick next. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They get to vote on what book. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They get one. And a sticker. And a sticker. Sticker. Okay, uh, we're so what's the deal? Jackie's like, he deserves his place in the canon. I agree to that extent, but like I said, I would not, I would really not tell most people to read the whole book. I would, if I'm talking to someone and I know them, I'm positive that there's at least one story that I would recommend to anybody, but it, varies. <laughs> I feel like if you're listening to this and you and you made it through both of these episodes, I think you should read the whole book. I think no shame in it. Like I had to look up a lot of stuff to vaguely understand what was going on. I there's still so much that I missed. But we kind of explained a lot. Yeah, we explained a lot, but there, you know, so I'm just saying it's okay to not get it mm-hmm. when you're first reading it and to have to look stuff up and have things explained to you. So if you listen to this and you liked it, the prose is beautiful. Check it out. Or if you don't want to read the full book, just read The Dead, honestly. Like, it's so, the dead. so good. Just read that and just kind of think about it. I, 
I would really recommend, yeah, that's the one thing that I would basically recommend to everyone. Not too depressing. Got a good mood to it. Nice. Okay, so that fire is sizzling out. I think you and I disagreed about some of those. Disagreed. Well, I think there were lots, there were several of them where you were like, this isn't sad. And I was like, they're all sad. Mm. Like, I still felt like I was saddened by all of them. There's a, they've all got a tinge of melancholy, but I don't think all of, I said they're not all depressing. But I mean, like Mm -hmm. a lot of them, you're just like, it's sad because the person's old and someday they'll die. But it's like, okay, then everything's sad. (laughs) Okay. It was deeper than that for me. It wasn't just like, oh, that's, she's old. Yeah. Well, anyway. There's little hints. That's the thing. There's little hints throughout all of them that just kind of push at you and push at you. He's not God. If he wanted there to be a definitive sad ending, he should have put it in there. If he didn't, then I'm not going to take it. It's like he's jumping around with a gold coin and saying, depression time, depression time. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm not following you. Oh, you would follow. Yeah. Subtlety is okay. Hmm. It's okay. Subtlety is all right in stories. It's okay. Okay. Well, that's that's that on that. That's Joyce. I'm sure we will read more Joyce in the future now that I know Jackie's like all up on him. You know, he's really riding his jock. Well, I have to go because I have to go. I have to go record my cat making a demon Sweet. sound. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. Yeah, okay, yeah. I got to go to bed and got to make a tendinitis appointment if possible. So, well, thanks for listening, everybody. And if you appreciate this and you want to support us, check out patreon.com slash fire the cannon. We also have Instagram and TikTok and Twitter at Fire the Cannon Pod. And you can email us. Our Gmail is either Fire the Cannon Pod at gmail.com or Fire the Cannon Podcast. Doesn't matter. Either one, it'll get to us. Doesn't matter. Our website is firethecannonpod.com. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye.